This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are talking politics and religion without killing each other. I am your host, Corey Nathan. I am so grateful to have a place to talk about faith and politics and big ideas in our culture with all kinds of interesting, accomplished folks of goodwill in good faith. And sometimes I get to talk to regular guys like me. And that's what we're doing today. It's also, before I get into that, it's an honor to announce that our program is a part of the Democracy Group, a network of podcasts that examines what's broken in our democracy and how we can work together to fix it. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. Tell friends, give us a good rating and leave a review. It really does help us become discovered so that more people can participate in these conversations. As I already alluded to, today is a different kind of a conversation than what we've been having lately. I'm talking to a friend of mine. On this program, I've often referred to, hey, I was talking to a buddy of mine and this came up and that came up and we got to figure some things out across our differences. And I figured, you know, this fellow, Darren, he is a friend of mine. Uh, We've known each other for several years. And over the years, we've discovered that we have different points of view on uh, various issues. I found Darren to be very informed, very thoughtful. I don't know, you know, how many of our audience agrees with some of his positions. And but that's kind of the point. You know, we talk about some really some issues that bring out the passion in a lot of folks and people feel very, very strongly about, you know, we get into uh, gun legislation. Uh, He asked me toward the end, he asked me uh, whether I like DeSantis. Uh, So we ended up talking about small business conservatism and how I think DeSantis isn't uh, the governor of Florida, isn't uh, an actual small business conservative. We we talk about a lot of stuff, man. Uh, We learn about Darren's life and, you know, how he began to form his, his political points of view. And keep in mind, we're two regular guys. We're not practitioners. We're not elected officials. But I think that's part of the point of this program. And that's why I thought it would be great to have Darren on because we do disagree about a lot of different things. And I'm sure a lot of folks in the audience disagree with me about stuff, disagree with Darren about stuff. But you know, at the end of the day, we're able to have the conversation. And that's why I thought it would be great to do this, which we might do some more of on occasion. So I'd love to hear what you think. We're pretty easy to find. Uh, You can connect with me on all the social media apps, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I got another one this week, uh, Tribal or something like that. We're on a bunch of them. So I'm at Corey S. Nathan on all of them, at C-O-R-E-Y, S as in Sam, N-A-T-H-A-N, at Corey S. Nathan. And um, yeah, you can find the show at, excuse me, politicsandreligion.us. And we're working on a new site. So pretty soon I'll have uh, have some updates on that for you. And in the meantime, I hope you really enjoy this conversation. It was fun for me. I hope it was fun for Darren. I'd love to have him back and talk about some more stuff. And again, let us know what you think. And now here is my conversation with my buddy, Darren. man how you doing it's good to see you good to see you thanks for having me (laughs) you bet so when did you first become a pro poker player (laughs) (laughs) i wish i thought about giving it a go and then i started keeping a log of my wins and losses and realized that professional wouldn't actually be a profitable thing for me were you just not one of those notebook guys those crazy notebook guys 
<laughs> no, I enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge and the skill level, but there are people that take it to a whole nother level and I'm just not there. If it came down to actually making money at poker, then it becomes a job. And then it takes the excitement out of it and it becomes really stressful when you have to gamble your way into paying rent or your mortgage or something like that. We're going to talk politics and stuff. And the one thing that, that people don't realize, everyone thinks that politicians are so smart. And there's a few of them. But if you really walk through Congress, like maybe the senators are a little better because they are at least more politically savvy. But I would say the average IQ can't be much more than 100 if you walk through Congress, like honestly. And that goes for both sides of the aisle. People might be charismatic. They might get voted in on a name. They might. But there are some really dumb people out there. And it really hurts. Like, I think that it's a very underappreciated job and we should pay a lot more for these people and we might be able to attract the type of intellect that could actually help this country but instead it's good pay like 180 grand for a congressman it's not bad but there are a lot of people that are real smart that can make a lot more than that Uh, one of my my best friends is a very prominent attorney I won't say his name or where he is because he wouldn't want me to share this. So I'll leave it anonymous, but I've mentioned it to him. I've met a bunch of his friends where he lives now. He's been down there for about 30 years. And I know for a fact that if he ran for mayor, dude could win an election for mayor. If he ran for U.S. Congress, he could cert- he, ha- he would have the support. He would know how to wrangle a comp- an effective campaign. He would win for U.S. House. Could he possibly even win for you? But he goes... I can't afford it. <laughs> Why don't you do that? Because I can't afford it. But uh, did you grow up in, in Santa Clarita? I was born and raised in Santa Clarita since I was a little kid. I all-American home, if you will. My my mom was a nurse. My dad was a firefighter. They so it was I was raised in Santa Clarita, so was my wife. We both went to Cal State Northridge, moved away and like moved into the valley in South San Fernando Valley during college and then we lived out in Sherman Oaks, Woodland Hills, out in that side of thing. And then when we decided to get married and settle down and buy a house, it was like all the reasons that I wanted to get out of Santa Clarita so fast and so bad when I was younger are all the reasons that brought me back. It was the suburbia, the safety of it, the cost of it, the fact that your money goes a lot further. For the same size house, we were looking at a condo where we were at and it just didn't make sense because then when we start talking about kids and you start talking about LA schools, public schools, like, no, thank you. Yeah. I wanted nothing to do with that. So Santa Frida has really good schools and stuff like that. So, so we opted to come back to Santa Frida. That was probably 2016, 2015. Would you consider yourself or your family pretty religious or nominally religious or how would you describe that? My, it's weird. I grew up going to church, not really. We always said grace. We said a Catholic prayer. Plus, it's the Lord for these that thing before dinner. Growing up, my dad was raised Catholic. He was more agnostic towards once I got older and stuff. My mom was religious, but more of like a spiritual. I went. We went to church a few times. We were those on a holiday or randomly, like not too much. I did a youth group in high school that I did, and I'd love to say it was because I was a believer and everything like that, but really they went on cool snowboarding trips. 
that I really wanted to go on. But I find myself now, like I have a science background. So I graduated college with a degree in microbiology. And I find it hard to really wrap my head around the religion thing. I want to believe. I really do. I would love to be able to go wholeheartedly into it because I think it's so good for family. I think it's so good for your kids. I think it's great structure and community. I think that it's missing a lot in life now. It's one of the big things that we had that our country was founded on. And I know it's, but I just can't get myself over that hurdle. It's something that I struggle with. Is it because Uh, some of the religious creeds or uh, statements of faith seem to be at odds with what you know to be scientifically accurate? Or do you find science and religion to be at odds with each other? Somewhat, but I also find it odd that there's a lot in the Bible that science can't necessarily disprove, that they can't definitively say or definitively disprove certain things. So there, there is that aspect of it. More so, it's all the, the evil in the world and all the wars that have been fought in God's name for every religion going back so long. I have a hard... It's, it's hard for me to grasp the concept that if there was this all-powerful being that he would just let people die and not just pop down and be like, hey, you guys are right. You guys are wrong. Here I am, like, let's all kumbaya. And you're talking millions of deaths and suffering and really horrible, heinous things that have happened in the past in the name of God that it's just really hard for me to wrap my head around. And so that's one of the parts I struggle with. And I know there are counter arguments to all that, but I think that's one of my big things. I don't say that I'm atheist. I don't like that. I go with kind of agnostic where I'm like, I prove it. Like I'm not going to bad mouth anyone. I think religion's a great thing. There's probably thousands of religions across the world. Like who's to say that you're in the right one. You've only been introduced to maybe if you're lucky three in your lifetime, really introduce. So how do you know, just because you happen to be born into this family that's Catholic, how do you know that's the right way to go? You know, it's the other thing that I struggle with. And then it's like, what if you're wrong? Like, what if that's not it? What if it's this one over here that you never even knew? Like, is that on you to, to really know? So there are just these things that I struggle with. So I wasn't raised religious per se, but I was raised with the morality of religion, which I think is the big takeaway. Yeah. For what it's worth, man, you are asking some really great questions and you're the, what, as you describe what you're struggling, what you struggle with are completely valid to struggle with. Talk about the history of men swinging swords with crosses on their chest or men swinging, tossing spears at people who believe in, who don't believe in their God or whatever. Like that, that's yeah. all so valid. I, and if you're seeking, those questions will point you in the right direction. I think I'm not going to sit here and try to sell you on what my theological convictions are. I just want to affirm that I, man, that's an exciting, it is a journey for you. That's you're asking a lot of really good questions that will spur you in a really interesting direction. Or if it's just like you're hanging out there and you found an equilibrium for yourself, that's cool too. But if you ever did want to wrestle through some of that stuff, 
again, I wouldn't, I'm not a proselytizer at this stage of my life, but I love exploring questions like that. I love grappling with difficult issues because I've been doing it, man, for most of my life, but really since the spring and summer of 2000, that ultimately led me to become going from observant Jew to Christian, having these Christian theological convictions. Is I've been asking tough questions like that and trying to grapple with hypocrisies and things that are very much at odds. But all that to say, I really respect the questions that, that you're, you are wrestling with and the problems you've identified some, some pretty central problems. So I think, uh, I, I think the biggest thing that kind of makes me want to is my daughter's two and a half now, almost three, actually, now that I, now that I think about it. And that's one of the biggest reasons. And I'm almost I'm getting closer to be, let's try it. Even if you struggle with it, it's like you got to go with an open mind and fake it till you make it, if you will. But I think the benefits to her outweigh so much. Yeah. Just to, just, yeah, I'm a little further along in the kid thing than you. My oldest is 22 and the boys are 19 and 18. And that's where I'm really appreciating religious observance. A couple of weeks ago, we were sitting around the Passover table, the Seder table, and whether it's these certain times throughout a year or certain times that we mark in people's lives. I flew back east in in late January. My best friend's daughter had a bat mitzvah, and this he goes to a humanistic synagogue. So it's a synagogue that there there are people who attend that are atheists, uh, overt atheists, and that's cool. Come to our synagogue and let's be a community together and do these practices together. But the biggest, it's, it really enriches our lives and so many different religious traditions throughout the world do this really well. Are the Native American tribes, a lot of Native American tribes marked times throughout the year to observe it together as a family. These are times that we come together, or these are, this is a time in your life when a boy is entering <clears throat> young adulthood, young manhood, or that, that kind of thing. So I think that's one of the parts of our religious practice that has definitely enriched our lives individually, but more importantly, collectively, who we are as a family and an extended family and a small community. So I'm curious when you started becoming politically engaged and how you started forming your view on certain positions. Oh, gosh. So my dad, I said he was in the fire department. My dad was also military as well. Let's see if I, I don't want to, I don't want to get this wrong. Let's see. He was 17 when he first joined. So he had to join with his parents' signature, left home, joined the army, was in the army for, I want to say six years. Then he switched to the air force, did another stint in the air force. Then he got out, went to college, did national guard at that point, went to college, got his nursing degree used that because it was a backdoor to get into the fire department. So he got his nursing degree while he could still work and pay for everything. And basically they say like paramedic school is kind of six months. Nursing school is like two years, but the training is the same. So got his RN, was able to then challenge the paramedic test with LAFD, got into the fire department. But all the time he still did National Guard. And he did National Guard for 30 somewhat years. Oh, wow. So he retired a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. He retired a captain for LA City Fire. So he was gone a lot more than I would like as a kid, but he was also like 
a lot of people will say, oh, my dad's my hero. My, my dad was, and I can legitimately say that, but also my dad literally was a hero to me. So, and he was a hero to others as well. And so I grew up listening, like he would have Rush Limbaugh on in the car. Like it was one of those things. He taught me how to shoot a gun when I was before. Like the story goes, he bought when my mom was pregnant with my sister, they didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. And he went out to the gun store and he bought a father-son special rifle that has like a plaque on it now. It has a plaque that's like commemorative father-son special on the stock. And he bought that and then girl comes out and a little disappointed, if you will, or whatnot. <laughs> but two, two years later, I was born. And so the story goes, that was my rifle since the day I was born. So I, you could say that I was raised into it, but I wasn't always political. I was very pro-gun, and, but I wasn't necessarily political until kind of later. I would probably say the last decade, maybe, okay. you know, where I started involving myself a little bit more because I realized the way I vote really matters. Once I started making decent money out of college, and I realized how much taxes affected me, how much representation affected me, how much all the factors mattered when buying a house and everything, you know, that were, everyone thinks, oh, this doesn't affect me, but it has, even local stuff affects you. School board will affect me in another couple of years. So all that stuff really matters. And so I started doing research before I voted. It wasn't just check all the, all the R candidates. It was see what these people are all about. And I've just gone from there. I enjoy feeling informed. I have friends that are just ignorance is bliss. Like I have no idea what's going on in the world at all. Right, left, center, they just have no opinion. And it's like, it's hard for me to fathom why, because this stuff is important and this is the future of our country. So I think that it matters a great deal. Have you ever voted for somebody who's a declared Democrat? I would, but I can't say that I have. So what would that would, person look like? So you could imagine a possibility of voting for somebody who's a Democrat. What would the circumstances be? Would they be a Democrat that bucked their party sometimes? Or what would be the circumstance? It would probably be like, so if you want to talk about older Democrats, I'm much more in line thinking with that. Like like John F. Kennedy. Kennedy, even Clinton, to that matter. Oh, yeah. Like Bill, Bill Clinton. So if you look at his platform versus the modern day who's running Joe Biden's platforms or anything like that, they are so modern day politics and Democrats are so far left of you than Bill Clinton. It's shocking. Even at the start of Obama's term, like he was for border security and all these policies and things that they said were now they can't say it. Like that's like a that's taboo to even say that. But definitely like Kennedy, Bill Clinton had a balanced budget, which I'm very much for. Like I think we are headed into disaster territory, just exploding the national debt the way we're doing. Like eventually that bill is going to come due. There's a lot of weird stuff happening in the news right now. It's really hard to suss out what's what's fact and fiction about who's going. But if the dollar loses its strength, which 
kind of appears like it might be, it could really hurt us, especially all this debt, because we just, right now, we can have all this debt because we're still the currency that the world uses. So it doesn't really matter right now. But if the world decides to adopt another currency, then we can be cruising for a bruising and that debt will only hurt us. You can't just cash in all these blank checks and not expect the rooster to come home to roost. You just covered a lot of ground there, but I want to focus on something you started with, <laughs> just the debt and deficit and the, what the Fed's doing with interest rate. Like, that's a whole other conversation. I'm not necessarily equipped sure. to go into that, but I do want to push back on something that you said. So when Clinton was president, Rush Limbaugh, you also mentioned Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh, I was talking about Clinton as if he was like so far left, he was Marxist, and yet as well as what's his name who was speak what the newt, newt gingrich was speaker of the house was talking mm-hmm. about like newt gingrich was raising the heat on the language of how he publicly discussed talked about his loyal opposition the democrats he couldn't he couldn't talk about them publicly without completely demonizing his pe- people on the other side of the aisle and yet clinton and gingrich ultimately did a lot of their best work together So similarly, the rhetoric, the public rhetoric is one way. But if you look at what actually got done in the first two years of Biden's administration, I think a lot of the biggest pieces of legislation, not so coincidentally, were bipartisan pieces of legislation. Like we're probably going to end up talking about guns today, but we already have a little bit. But I think it's not coincidental at all that it was a senior citizen, senior Senator Republican from Texas who led that legislation. I know it was like just very incremental, but he led, he's the one who led the legislation on, on, he, he didn't call it gun reform. It was like mental health or something like that. Cornyn, it was Cornyn's bill that, that he led. And that, that was the first federal piece of legislation having anything to do with guns. It was after Uvalde. And that was a senator, a Republican senator from Texas, who led the negotiations to get that bill passed into law. Other pieces of legislation, it was the most conservative Democrat in the Senate, arguably somebody you can make an argument that he might declare as a Republican before the next election. Joe Manchin, they call it the the Inflation Reduction Act, but we know it was it had more to do with like Medicare. There were a couple other things in that piece of legislation that had to do with energy, which is why Manchin was involved, being from West Virginia. And it had to do with containing prescription drug costs. So there are a couple other things in that bill. But again, it was the most conservative, perhaps a future Republican, but the most conservative Democrat in the Senate who led that piece of legislation. There was a bipartisan infrastructure bill. There was a bipartisan CHIPS Act. So in spite of the rhetoric, the stuff that actually has gotten done under Biden has been bipartisan. So I don't know. Sometimes I think, go ahead, sorry. Yes, you can do bipartisan stuff, but the Democrats are holding the Republicans hostage in a way to where they're promising with this hand all this free stuff. So if Republicans don't go along, it's really hard to win an election because the Democrats are saying, we'll give you free health care and we'll give you free this and we'll give you free that and we'll give you all these things. And if the Republicans don't do that, then don't even go along with some of the things and they know that they'll lose an election. But how is that to do an election based on a lie? Because there's no way you can do it. Or you're going to blow out the debt 
in order to do it. This Inflation Reduction Act that just pumped trillion to $2 trillion, I think. That might have been 1.2 actually on that one. Don't quote me on the numbers, but... It was two- the one, yeah, it was the 1.2 because they didn't have Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin wouldn't sign on for the $2 trillion. So it you know, was but, the lower number. But there that was, that's absolutely asinine to call something an Inflation Reduction Act and then pump <laughs> $1.2 trillion of money that we don't have to say that this is going to cool the inflation. Like that's basic economics. That's something that someone learns in high school. Like economics is very much supply and demand. And if you increase the supply of money and the demand for goods don't change, then it's going to hike up the prices of everything. That's very rudimentary that that causes inflation. And so when you have too much of something chasing too few of something, it's just the prices are going to spike. And so to call it that is just so inherently dishonest. That's one of the, the great problems. Both sides do this. I'm not an idiot. Yeah. Like, yeah. they name these bills, these things where it's like, that has nothing to do with it. Or you're calling it infrastructure, but really it's green energy, this or that. It's, it's one of these things where, you know, they just... They're not honest about anything to the voters because they know if we say that, then no one will vote for it. And so they trick people almost into voting for it. In California, we had, we tried to repeal a gas tax or we had this crazy tax and they named it something like, I I don't even remember the exact wording, but it was so confusing to voters that they couldn't even repeal a gas tax because people thought they were voting to repeal it and they voted to keep it because so they, they alter this and play these words and they play the voters for fools. And that's one of the big problems. So getting back to, I'm getting a little off track here, getting back to it, the Democrats are over here saying free ice cream. And then you have the Republican ice cream truck over here saying, we only charge about 50 for it. Everyone's going to go to the free ice cream, but eventually <laughs> that free ice cream truck's going to go out of business. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. If- I don't know if it's if Republicans got a clean slate on that, though. If you look at a lot of people who still make a case for Trump's administration and his record will say, I hated I hated his tweets, but I liked his policies. But at the end of the day, dude, like was not very good in terms of the budget. Dude spent a ton of money. Like the, oh, if you're looking at his no, P&L, you, it, he was pretty far. You got to count. You got to look before 2020 if you're going to do that type of analysis, because that 2020 and you had COVID come in, that that changes the dynamic completely. In terms of you the know, economy, but, the economy was doing pretty well. Thank you, Obama. <laughs> Just giving you shit. No, the economy was doing pretty well. But if you're looking at the act, the deficit, how he was spending compared to what revenues were coming in, he did not have a good record in 2018 and 2017, 2018. No, I, I don't agree with that. I think that there should be a law saying it has to be balanced. Yeah. Like, because otherwise you, it's just, it's not sustainable long-term. So they should be able to figure it out. There's so much fat to cut. But then I realize that might mean a lot of jobs or higher unemployment. And every president's worried about that because those are big numbers. The unemployment and your job creations and stuff like that. Those are big numbers that are put out almost weekly. I think inflation is monthly, but the job numbers and the jobs report that comes out, and those are things that presidents are graded on. So it's that that digging ditches things where they're just going to hire you to dig a ditch and then go fill it in and dig a ditch and go fill it in where they're trying to create these jobs in spite of we us not actually needing them. 
So sometimes I get frustrated because we're very selective in terms of what big numbers we're looking at, right? So do you, I'll just throw out a couple off the top of my head. During Obama's administration, unemployment went down after January, excuse me, February of 2009, after his first full month in office, unemployment went down steadily, I think every month that he was in office for eight years. Also the Dow, he got a Dow. Now granted, it was right after the 2008 Great Recession, but the Dow, he got a Dow at 8,000. He left with a Dow close to 20,000. So there were big economic numbers that we could look at that indicate Obama's economic record was pretty good. But then there were other factors that others were others were pointing to to say, no, it's not good at all. Like even the unemployment, they were saying, one of my friends is pointing out the economic participation rate went down. So I don't know. It feels to me like we're being very selective or right now during Biden's administration, you have to look at the unemployment numbers and say, oh, that's pretty good. 3.5, I think was the last number, continually adding jobs, hundreds of thousands of jobs every month. You can definitely argue about the inflation, but inflation at its peak was 9.2. I think this last number was at about 5%. So yeah, it's still high, but the fact is that they're bringing it down or they're, but, but the, the already, rate of inflation is already, slowing. We've already been over a year. So is it slowing down? Because it went up 7% year over year for the first year, 7, 8, 9, 10 depending on what it was. And now we're into the second year and now it's at five. That means the price has gone up 15% in two years. Okay. So it's not really, oh my God, look at how much it's come down. Everything is out of control still. It's supposed to be a two, mind you. That's the the goal. So even five is still. Yeah. 1.8 to 2.2, I think is the right number. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that there's no inflation. I'm just saying that the rate of inflation is slowing. And if we're going to blame if we're going to blame a president, and there's only so much control any president has over some of these big things. And I think that some of the spending, a lot of the spending was the cause of this. There were some other factors that that had an effect on it. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that Biden is, his hands are completely clean when it comes to this stuff. I'm just saying like, I think it's best if we don't look at it from a to the best of our ability with from a partisan hat, but look at it objectively. And if we're going to blame a, a president when gas prices go up, are we also going to give him credit when gas prices come back down? That that sort of thing. So, so. And I, I think that that's one of my biggest takeaways from following politics is nobody ever holds themselves accountable to the same rules that they hold everyone else accountable to. I'm sure as you've gotten more politically engaged, it's stuff that you've paid attention to. So I'm curious if, let me ask you this. Are, is there legislation that you would support? I'm not talking about California because California already has very strict gun laws, but federally, is there legislation that you would support that some folks of the NRA is saying, oh, you're taking away our rights? Like what kind of legislation might you support or do you not support any type of legislation, that, gun, gun legislation? That's a great question. It's a pretty loaded question, pun intended. Did I trigger you? uh, (laughs) Listen, shoot me straight here. So (laughs) let's go first off. No, I don't. No, I don't support anything more. Okay. But that comes with a but. 
the reason why is because we're not enforcing the laws that are currently on the books. Okay, and there's no point in making new laws when you're not enforcing the laws that would have stopped it. There, there are there are red flag laws that make sense when you talk about them as like, oh, yeah, you can report someone because they said something or said something online, and they can go and take all their guns, and then they'll adjudicate it later. Okay, which sounds great, right? Like. That makes sense. And what happens when, you know, it's an ex-wife that's mad at you and she just knows and she just wants to get under your skin or someone, what a neighbor that you're feuding with because your dog keeps pooping in their lawn and they're like, watch this, I'm going to get them back. You can't strip someone's rights. And I say rights because it is a right in the Bill of Constitution. You cannot strip their rights without due process. So if you wanted to fast track some sort of hearing and give them their due process to figure it out, I would be much more inclined to support something like that. But there has to be a due process before you just go into full confiscation because you can't take someone's right to defend themselves. God forbid you do that. And knowing the process now, you would do that. And then, okay, we'll put you on the docket and we'll hear your case in three months. What happens when somebody breaks into your house in that three months and you have no ability to defend yourself? And maybe you shouldn't have had a gun. Maybe you should have. But there's there mandatory waits. Like, so California has a mandatory wait. There's a 10-day waiting period when you purchase a gun. I've owned guns my entire life. I have many guns, okay? I go into a gun shop tomorrow. I still have to wait 10 days. Where's the common sense in that? The whole idea was it was supposed to stop a crime of passion. So, okay, like obviously if I wanted to do a crime of passion, there are plenty of, I have plenty of firearms. There's no real logic there. So a lot of this stuff, a lot of the laws that people are making don't make sense. They're very reactionary to specific situations. And it's always blame the gun, but let's not look at any of the other factors. If you want to look at almost every mass shooter, almost all of them, they exhibit very big red flags. There was the Parkland shooter, cops had been to his house multiple times. Like they had been reported and they still slipped through the cracks and they still, the laws were not enforced. So if you can't do that right, then no, I'm not going to support more laws because what happens wants to point towards assault weapons and I'll put that in air quotes because there's really no such thing as an assault weapon and that's a semantic term it's just it's a semi-automatic rifle and there are so many people that I've talked to that think assault weapon means a fully automatic machine gun that people are just mowing down kids or in these mass shooting events and that's just not the case. It's one trigger pull, one bullet comes out. Joe Biden the other day said that an AR-15 bullet blows up inside somebody. Like, wait, what? No, does it go faster than a handgun round? Sure, but it's a lot smaller than a handgun round too. So an AR-15, I, I should have brought like a prop of like different size bullets, but an AR-15 round like a 22 is what I learned to shoot when I was four years old. That's like the first gun you teach a kid to shoot. An AR-15 round 
the bullet diameter is the same size as a 22. Okay, it's very small. They were originally created to like during Vietnam and stuff because it was much easier to lug around and lighter. But there was a, a drawback where they weren't as lethal as a lot let, of that. Let me let me back up for a second because you've already covered a lot of ground. So one thing, get what you're saying because I I've thought that red flag laws is fertile ground for where there can be some bipartisan support. But to your point, it has to be well-written and well-enforced red flag laws. And I think there is a lot of precedent now, even in the state of Florida, you mentioned Parkland, there have been literally documented thousands of cases of preventions that have happened because of new uh, because of newly enforced red flag, I don't know if they call them red flag laws, but they're red flag type laws. And a lot of it, uh, I might be speaking out of turn here, so I have to look it, look it up, but a lot of it parallels restraining orders. So when there is a restraining order, it's a little bit more clear. They can follow the same processes to enforce sure. already written red flag laws. But I, I did want to ask you, is there a limit to the right to bear arms? So talking about semi-automatic rifles, is there a limit at some point? Like, I don't imagine you would say that the right to bear arms covers my right to have a nuclear weapon, right? Sure. So where would that line be? I would probably leave that line up to, to nine people smarter than me in the Supreme Court that could really do it. Because, you know, should someone have a grenade and or a rocket launcher or a Gatling gun or something like that. No. And that that's been adjudicated already. Like there are laws against machine guns. You cannot just go out and buy a machine gun. Like you can't. There are. So just to specify, because you corrected me on this one time, what's the difference between a, what is it called AR-15s or something, a semi-automatic rifle? What's the difference between what we're talking about and machine guns? So an AR-15, first off, the AR part doesn't stand for assault rifle. Okay. That's what everyone thinks. AR stands for assault rifle. It stands for the original creator, which was Armalite. So it was an Armalite rifle. It was a take on the M16 rifle that was issued to the soldiers during Vietnam. The M16 had was fully automatic, had a floor. You could either pull the trigger, hold it down, and it would just fire. Versus you could select it. You could do a three-round burst where you pull one trigger, pull three shots go out, or you could do single shot, one trigger, pull one, one bullet. This came out, this again, you're not allowed to own those. You're not allowed to own a machine gun where that means you just hold down the trigger and it just fires. Okay. okay? They don't sell those in gun stores. You're, unless you're a federally licensed firearms dealer, it's the only way you can possibly own one. And you're talking if you own one and don't, there are massive penalties to this. Massive jail time if you own these types of things. So everything is very similar to a handgun. It's one, one, one trigger pull, one bullet comes out. It's the type of bullet, it's the length. And there are different factors. There's speed and stuff like that. But getting back to what I was saying about the 223 bullet, which is the common AR round, the same size as a 22. It goes faster. So it goes three times faster than a handgun round, a round, give or take. So, but if you compare that to normal hunting rounds, 
something that you would shoot a deer with a 308 or 30-06 or something like that's a much bigger round that's a much faster round that has a much a deadlier range of much further do i getting getting back to what you were saying where is there any legislation it the problem is you give an inch it's death by a thousand cuts with this type of stuff it's the common sense of this law and that law like in California, you have to have all these rules. Like for me to own an AR-15, you've got to have certain ways the action works and you can't have a detachable magazine and your magazines can only hold up to 10 rounds. And you can't have any of these evil modifications on your gun. Forward handle, adjustable stock, uh, flash suppressor, you know, any of these things that are considered illegal that make it so that it makes it much harder for one, someone like me to follow the laws and I have to stay up on the laws and modify my rifles accordingly because all of a sudden they create a law and now I'm a criminal overnight, which I've done nothing wrong. I didn't go out and do anything, but they change these laws. And so I could all of a sudden become a felon without even knowing it. But not only that, they, they create these laws and then a mass shooting still happens. What nobody's willing to admit is that first no gun buyback or gun confiscation is going to happen okay there's just no way there's too many guns you're talking about 400 million plus guns for 330 million people in the country there's no way that would happen okay we have massive penalties the strictest penalties on the books for murder okay these people these shooters are willing to go out and murder people what makes you think that they're going to believe like they're, oh, I was going to go kill these people. But now that they have this gun law and they banned ARs, I'm not going to do it now. Like they were already willing to commit murder. So they're willing to bypass any other law. And if you think that all of a sudden, if you did ban them, that wouldn't create a black market. Look at drugs. Look at the war on drugs. Look at the black market that that created. Anywhere where there's an opportunity, people will exploit it. So if you go and ban guns, people will just find another way that's not legal to buy them. What are other advanced nations doing that the United States is not? Because clearly the United States' record when it comes to mass shootings is worse than any other nation, any other advanced nation in the world. And it's by an order of magnitude. It's not even close. So what are other nations doing that, that we're not? I, you have to look at this as a multivariable approach because I don't think it's just one thing. Media has a huge part of it, okay? We have the 24-hour news cycle that started up and these people want to go out and take as many people with them as possible type of thing. They want to be that anti-hero. They want to be famous. They want their name and their picture on all the news stations, even if it's for the most horrendous thing. So, so, so mental, you're saying I mental health is a factor. The media is a factor in how it feeds the, it, it, feed, it feeds the cycle. It feeds the fervor, but shooters, also mental health is see, a factor. Shooters see the last, shooters see the last guy blasted all over the news and they say, I want to be that famous. Okay. I want that. So now you can't, create a law because you can't we have freedom of the press and that's another right enshrined in the constitution but if the media was actually had a shred 
of compassion for this, they would name them Shooter X, Shooter Z, Shooter 125. They would not put their name out there. They would not put their picture out there. They would put facts of what happened. But you I find a lot name, of outlets are starting to use use that practice where or individual I, I, media personalities are. You can't account for not, the entirety of media, but like I do see certain outlets that now have that policy where we are not going to show this person's face. We're not going to mention their name because that's part of what the point is they've found is that it's they're going out in a in their glory. So but it's that you can't it's so hard to make that as a policy for all media outlets everywhere. Yeah. The other aspect of it is, so we've had guns in this country for a long time. My dad used to tell me stories about how he used to bring a gun to school and it'd be in in his truck and they'd go hunting after, they'd go shooting after. This was like normal. Mass shootings did not happen back then, but we had guns, okay? The shootings didn't happen back then. So if we had the guns, What's changed since then? So I talked about the multivariable. So you had the media as a big aspect of it on the 24-hour news cycle and the fact that they have to feed into this. There's the mental health crisis that's going on. There's the pharmaceutical aspect of this that I think everyone glosses over. And I think it's a huge thing. I, I read something and I don't want to cite it because I haven't been able to back it up yet. But 90% of all the mass shooters are on SSRIs or on antidepressants. Oh, and SSRIs, selective, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which there's already enough controversy with those as far as they were completely marketed in a way that they don't have any effect on serotonin. Like this was a big study that was done, I believe, in Europe that just came out and I can get you that if you'd like to see it. But basically it was saying like, no, this was completely marketed as like people were sold as like, you have this chemical imbalance and you need to balance your serotonin and it's not at all. If so you could find that study, that, that would be great. Cause I'd love to put the link in the show notes. Yeah, I will. And so that is a big factor because SSRIs have a one in a hundred chance of really negative side effects. People that lose all empathy and become very suicidal, it's about one in a hundred. And so when you have a combination of someone who loses all empathy that becomes extremely suicidal and now has no empathy for other people and other victims, you have a recipe that's a powder keg. And then they see this on the media and they're like, I wanna do that. Mm. And so, there was, the video was just released. We mentioned Parkland and I, I'm, I don't know what your audience is, but I'm going to go with the same thing where I'm not going to say the guy's name, but the shooter in that had a video on his cell phone and he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it at Parkland. I think I can get upwards of 20 people and like, it's like, it's a game. So that's the other thing is violence in movies, violence in the video games. There's a desensitization. First-person shooter games have taught people that have never held a gun how to shoot a lot better. Modern optics have gotten a lot better. They put a scope on it. They put a red dot, and then it just becomes put the dot over the person, and there's not nearly as much of a skill involved in it. The bottom line, though, is so we've caved in California, if you will, to all these laws. 
Okay. And there's the handgun roster that I won't even get in. I maybe leave that for another time, but that's a huge thing that really infringes on people's rights. California, we've done all these things, but California still had mass shooting. Okay. It's not like California stopped them all because of all these gun laws. That's why they're talking about okay? federal laws. Like if there was a universal background check, for example, uh, one state can do it, but if we don't do it all 50 states, then it's not really a thorough enough solution. I don't think that you can buy a gun without a background check. In California. I don't know of a state that, in California. No, I don't know of a state. I don't know of a single state that you can buy a gun without a background check. You're going to get a federal background check in every state. What, but there are loopholes. There are loopholes like gun show loopholes and stuff like that. No, that's a common white lie. Okay. Like, so, so I think I know that's a, that's a lie in California. I shouldn't say that it's everywhere. But a person-to-person transfer, I just bought a gun off a friend. And we had to literally go into the store. And, like, literally, I'm buying this off of him. He has to fill in all his information. I have to fill in all mine. They take the gun that I Mm. literally just bought, keep it for 10 days while they do a background check. And then I'm able to transfer it into my name. Yeah, listen, I know that California has really strict, comparatively speaking, strict gun laws. But the problem is getting something done federally, because again, the United States, as I mentioned before, record compared to every other advanced nation in the world is just atrocious. But uh, listen, I- Yeah, go ahead. Real real quick, when I said that's death by a thousand cuts, the problem is that you put this law on the books, okay? There's a lot of talk about laws that nobody actually knows if they're going to work. And the strong suspect is they're not going to work. So you put this law in the books where you're not going to take it off. You're just going to add a new law and you're just going to add a new law. And eventually you have Joe Biden who's out there. We got to ban all assault rifles. What happens when that doesn't work? These kids are just going to go with shotguns and handguns. Is that what's next? Like, when do you say enough's enough? Because these are mentally deranged individuals. There are, we don't have nearly the number of other countries might have more mass shootings but we also don't have the same numbers in violent crimes, home invasions and stuff like that, that those other countries have too. Because- So here's where I stand on it. I am somewhere in between. So what you're saying is um, enough's enough, but nothing has been done. I did mention the bipartisan piece of legislation that was passed last year led by John Cornyn, Republican Senator from Texas. But that had more to do with mental health and it had to do than anything having to do directly with guns. So I have some friends who are screaming, like, just get this done, ban assault rifles, do this and this. And they were upset about the legislation that was passed last year that that Cornyn led. I forgot the name of the bill that became a law. And you're saying death by a thousand cuts. If you pass this and it doesn't work, they're going to try to get something else. I'm somewhere in between where I say, no, let's get a federally well-written red flag law passed. Let's have universal background checks at the federal level, because I know certain states have it, but at the federal level. There, there are certain things that I think part of the problem, though, is that folks who are, I mentioned this the other day, that I was having a conversation the other day with a fella named Pete Dominic, and I mentioned, I, I mentioned, I have, I said to him, I have friends who are big Second Amendment guys, two, they're big 2A guys. And he just cut me off. He's like, I don't expect that. I don't accept that. 
I said, I'm just using it as a shorthand so you know who I'm talking. And he wouldn't even let me finish a sentence. I don't accept that because they don't even know the Second Amendment. And he was he started yelling at me. Like, so I got Pete, who <laughs> I'm guessing Pete does want to come to your house and take your guns away. I don't know if that's his position, but that's kind of how impassioned he is about it. And then I have others, like I was sitting across the table from a dude who, on his, you have the We the People tattoo. He has in Latin or Greek or something, come and take them. I'm like, dude, nobody's coming to take your tinker toys, man. Like, dude, like, relax. I'm almost sad for you that you got it tattooed on your forearm because that's just not the world we live in. But that guy with the come and take them tattoo and Pete Tom, they will never be in the same room together. I just feel like if we got, if we just allowed so somebody said somebody was saying who is an advocate to pass strict gun laws. He came to the epiphany that like we should have folks who grew up inheriting their guns from their dads and who are part of the we should have folks in the room with us while we're talking about this stuff. I think that would go a long way. And I know we tried at the congressional level, the the grade eight or whatever the hell they called the eight senators that were trying to get something done on immigration. That's just something that we haven't even talked about, but like part of the problem is it's so hard to get in the room together. And then if you get in the room together, it's so hard to go back to your constituency, say, listen, I actually collaborated with the enemy. I got in the same room with the left. Yeah. <laughs> I got in the same room with the NRA guy. Like it's, a, but I think we got to do that fighting in our own, for lack of a better word, in our own tribes. I think we got, I think the guy, the, I can get in a room with guys who disagree with me on specific issues and we could have really constructive conversations what if you get a chance to listen to that pete dominic conversation it's up it's the last episode that we released if you get a listen chance to listen to that clearly that's the fight that i need to be having i need to be like pete reel it in man like somebody who grew up inheriting a gun from his dad in this in a different sort of culture than maybe where you think talking about that dude as if he is the enemy you're talking about that dude before you even know who he is. You're generalizing, you're mischaracterizing, you're vilifying, and you won't even account for that. So I'm having that fight over there. I'm also having a fight in my church about theological issues. The fight that we need to have is not with each other because we're not even talking to each other. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off on a little tangent here. What no, I you're right. And the thing is, one, one, the laws are written by highly uneducated people, or you have people out there stumping Joe Biden, I'm going to take the AR-15 and the round blows up inside you. That's just patently false. That's, that doesn't happen. That's maybe in like James Bond or something, but that's not a realistic thing that the round just goes through you. Oh, so you can't have people making gun laws that don't actually understand guns. Okay. Second thing is there are common sense steps. If someone were to ask me, how do I stop this? There are common sense things that you can do. We've sent a lot of money to Ukraine for or against it. I'm not here to argue that right now. Maybe, you know, time, not the time and place. But if we spent just a fraction of that on security for schools, this latest school shooter in Nashville, they, to my knowledge, still haven't released the manifesto. Okay. I think that they're holding off on it because it says a lot of things that aren't good for the thing. One of the, which they already admitted was they know that they scouted other sites and chose that school because it didn't have the security. The other sites did have security, okay? You wanna talk about a job creation program, how about putting honorably discharged vets, armed vets at every school? 
and pay them a hundred grand a year. But you're talking about a few billion a year. That's a drop in the bucket when all is said and done. And you have your schools where you have someone that has seen combat that is tactically sound that could react to a situation if needed. And yet you have people on the left that are advocating to take police out of schools. And they're so, it's really hard if you can't even agree to the facts. So one of the big things like about your show and what I like about it is how do you talk to someone? First, you have to agree on definitions because if you don't agree on definitions and you don't know, like you guys could be using the same word. And if it's not, if you're not looking at it the same way, then there's going to be a lot of confusion. So there, there are certain things that you can do. I would argue that way too many people die of drunk drivers. Okay. And that would be like me saying, we need to pass legislation to get cars removed from the road. <laughs> like, why should I infringe on your right? You've done nothing wrong. There has to be ways that I can stop them from doing it. There has to be. But if you have laws on the books to stop that, like everyone's acting like murder isn't a law on the books. And how do we stop them? Like they're already willing to commit murder. They're willing to break any other law that you create. So that's not the way to stop them. That's just a silly thing. And if you ban assault weapons or one of the things, and I hate using that term, sorry to everyone that's yelling at me and they're listening to this. If you ban these types of rifles, that is the one thing that you have that, you know, is very effective at defending your family. Very effective, like COVID, when you had all these riots and stuff, that's a scary time. When you talk about groups of people, what people don't understand is you have guns to be able to provide security for yourself and defend yourself from your family. You also have it to protect against tyranny. Every government that's gone tyrannical, which is, to my knowledge, almost everyone in the history, if they haven't gone tyrannical yet, eventually they do, okay? Their first step is to take the guns. Look at China, look at Cuba, look at Russia, Soviet Union. So everywhere that's gone that way, they take away the guns. That's the first thing they do. They disarm the population, and then they can jam through some really messed up things and rules and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, I'm not saying like, yeah, go fight the government. That's not what I'm saying. But the fact that we have the ability to do that is a check on the government. It is also a check on other countries invading us because they know that we have a 400 million plus surplus of arms at our disposal. And it would mean absolute guerrilla warfare going through the streets. So I, this can go, we could talk for hours just on what you just said, because I don't know if I, I, I would probably push back on your accounting of history, at least a couple of chapters that you cited there. But I, like I said, I don't want to go there because that would be, that would open up like another couple hours alone. Sure. Also, just the use of the term tyranny, we'd, to your point, we'd have to define the terms because I think there are things that are examples of tyranny right now or at least leaning very heavily in that direction that are subverting the democratic process. But I don't think it's necessarily happening. It's happening with today's version of the Republican Party. I'm not talking about conservatives in general. 
especially whether it's Burkean conservatives, Buckleyan conservatives, Sowellian conservatives. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in particular in the House of Representatives right now, the Republicans in the House and certain state legislatures. There are things that look a heck of a lot like tyranny and subverting, doing things actively to subvert the democratic process. But like I said, that's a whole other conversation. I do want to ask you, we've been going along quite a bit already. I do want to ask you a couple of questions before we start to wind it down. One is pretty central to what we're trying to do here. What do you, You've already talked a little bit about this, but what do you think each of us can do to be able to share space with, to have better conversations with, even nurture relationships with people across our differences? People who think differently than we do, have different beliefs than we do, who get their news from different sources than we do. How can we just... It's the title of the show. How can we do better at talking politics and religion without killing each other? Or is it even possible? It's hard because it's been so divided and it's divided under, it's divided on lines that are very hard lines in the sand that people have drawn up to where you're on one side or the other. Like I bounce back and forth through a lot of the things. I'll be very conservative on some things and other things. I'll be much more liberal. The key is though talking to someone. The key is something like this, though, where it's a long-form conversation, okay? The people that watch the news and get their information and think they know everything, because I watch all the different shows, and they get their information from 10-second and 20-second and 30-second sound bites, where they're, the, like you said, the gun topic could be hours that you could talk about this. If you're not willing to spend that time and actually have that conversation and be educated about the subject, then you shouldn't be talking about it because you should be educated on the subject. So that's one of the big things is a lot of people talk without actually knowing anything and you have to be willing to listen. And there's a bit of like, okay, you can both be right. You can both be wrong. You can agree to disagree. It doesn't have to be that way. I grew up in a time where a lot of times people didn't talk politics and it was just in the background. I think we all did for the most part, except for people growing up now. But I've had where people know I'm an outgoing conservative and I've had people actually like unfriend me or <laughs> not want to talk to me. And it's I'm still the same person I, that I've always been. And so you have to be tolerant to people in different views. There's yeah. Yeah. And you have to listen. Yeah, it's a really good point that uh, what you were saying a second ago about watching the news in the way I was, the picture in my brain was like, we're watching the news in order to create the equivalent of a snowball to throw at somebody. <laughs> like, I only yeah. know about 10 seconds of this topic, but I just memorized one talking point that I can launch at somebody on Twitter or around a yep. poker table and put an end to the conversation. That's, a, that's, that's another great point is the social media aspect that I didn't even touch on. You cannot have these types of conversations in 160 characters or less or however many it is now. And even then, I think that when you write stuff down, people reading it can take it 20 different ways depending on their mood. So I, I can write the most respectful rebuttal to someone's points and point out the reasons why they're wrong and it's a fallacy to think this way or whatever. And then somebody reads that and just goes, no, he's wrong. He's just an asshole. Yeah. You know? It amazes me. Some people's so capacity to read through a certain lens that like 
no matter what I say or how gracious I'm trying to be, they'll pick like one or two words and conflate it and mischaracterize it because they're looking for, a friend of mine calls it oppositional politics. They're, that's all they're looking for is oppositional politics and to vilify people that they disagree with about one thing. I try to avoid conversations with people that I'm not already in relationship with, but sometimes doing what I do, I have to do that. But yeah, we've encountered each other online. And I always love the fact that oftentimes we'll take it offline and be IMing each other because we're able to like flesh it out a lot, a lot more than what those even, you know, the Twitter feed does. Even then though, you can't flesh it out. You're talking, and that's one of the big things is it's boiled down to these really big topics. Yeah, dude, you filibuster me. Just... You give me so much, like, you'll go do a comment. I'm like, wait, I don't even know what to respond to now. You just gave me about 24 different bullet points. Which one do I respond to? So, yeah. yeah. It's, and it's tough, and it just can't be done. It can't be done in any sort of productive way. And frankly, you're not going to win anything. That's the one takeaway that I've learned from talking to someone on the internet. You could be right. You could have all the facts on your side. It doesn't matter. You're not going to change anyone's mind. You're not going to convince them of something different on the internet. If you have a conversation face-to-face, there's a chance, or there's a chance that you guys can end it and agree to disagree and still be friends. But the, the internet just, someone reads it or takes it the wrong way, and it can really hurt people. And I think that's part of where we've got to today that I think is really sad. Before, nobody talked about politics, Republican or Democrat. We all got along there wasn't this huge divide. And now I think partially because of that media and that 24 hour news cycle and that fact that they need something and they need to create viewers. They need someone to watch this all the time. So they have to have controversy. Yeah. So even when it's not, they'll spin it on a whole cloth just to make it. Yeah. Yeah. I make a lot of really good points. And yeah, it's the nature of things where a lot of this is contentious coming out of the gate. So our engagement, whether it's in person or online, it's often with the intent to win a debate or score one for our supposed team or whatever. I don't know, man. Like I think it's better to go into something hoping to maybe understand someone better. And if someone then understands you a little bit better, I think that's a win for everybody. That's a way to win for everybody to win. And it's a way to like start to have dialogue with people from different backgrounds and different points of view, maybe you could solve some of these things. To your point, like I've come to the conclusion doing this project that I am not able to turn somebody around 180 degrees in one conversation. I can't even turn somebody around over the course of years and years, 180 degrees, but I feel like we can influence each other by one degree. I feel like I'm willing to take the time to understand somebody and hold on to This uh, what another friend of mine, Monica Guzman, calls a radical curiosity and an openness to that person's humanity, then that might be reciprocated just by this human osmosis. So I don't know, maybe it's pie in the sky. I might be I might be completely delusional, (laughs) but I think think people might find out that I think that people might find out that they have a lot more in common than they they don't. And that's the biggest thing, just because one says they're a conservative, one says they're Democrat doesn't mean they're polar opposites. They might agree on a lot, but it just might be a few things. And then, dear God, don't talk about them. <laughs> you can still be friends and you don't, you can just say, look, we disagree about this and that's okay. You're not, 
you know, when, you know, somebody, if, you know, your friend, I already forgot his name, but I am going to listen to the podcast. If he really wants to take my guns, okay, like we just won't talk about this because there's no way that you're going to convince me that you should have my guns. Like there's <laughs> no possible way. And so, but that doesn't mean that we disagree on everything. Yeah. And there might be common ground in there that could be had. But That's if you only want to talk about guns, then we have nothing to talk about. I'm curious to hear, to put this up in contrast with that conversation I had. His name's Pete Dominic. I'm interested to put it up in contrast and specifically to have some of my friends who lean left to listen to both conversations and see if they have any surprising takeaways. I'm really curious to, to, to get some constructive feedback about that. I have one last question, and that is, do you, okay. have, any, do you have any questions for me? Oh, gosh. I didn't necessarily... I almost feel like this is a job interview now. When that's the last, <laughs> I should have told right? you I was going to ask you that. I apologize. That's no, I don't think I have questions because I partially know how you lean, and we've had prior conversations. But let me. Okay, I got. I think I got one for you. Okay. If DeSantis runs for president, would you consider voting for him? No way. Absolutely not. There are any number of Republicans that if they ran for president, I would be at least curious, if not outright supportive. I'm super curious about Tim. What's his last name? South Carolina Senator Tim. I can't believe his name just whoo, flew out of my brain. There's anyway, there's plenty of Republicans. I, Nikki Haley, I'm ambivalent about like Nikki Haley. Right when she left the representing the U.S. at the U.N., I was super at the very least curious, if not really interested but I would never vote for DeSantis because I'm actually a conservative and he's anti-conservative, specifically anti-business conservative. His, I think he is an effective executive Is that now. because of the Disney thing? It's partly because of the Disney thing, but also during the pandemic, he was telling businesses what they could and couldn't do. I don't, I'm a small business owner. I don't want the governor of my state telling me, like if I came to the determination that in order to do the work that we're doing on certain sites, there are certain clients who wanted our crews to be to wear masks. I, I don't want the governor telling me, you can't tell your employees to wear masks. That is not small business conservatism. So I want to come yeah, to- that's supporting freedom of the employees, that they can wear a mask if they want to, but you right. can't and force as, them to do it. Right. As a private business owner- I can come to a certain policy based on the needs of my clients. And if my employees don't want to abide by those policies, they can freely choose to leave my company and go to another company. That's part of free market principles. They can go to another company that, that has looser mask wearing. So that's part of the free market principles. I have to compete against other companies and I can weigh the benefits and drawbacks of saying, this is the policy because my clients are asking my guys to wear masks on their site. That's just a, that's just a one example, can, but governor DeSantis, argument for that. governor but, DeSantis but he was took also that following, following the science that the masks have come out as being largely ineffective. They were saying that they were flip-flopping on it back and forth. Not necessarily you know, flip-flopping. They were trying to follow the science and the science was evolving, if you will. They, they were, as they were gaining more, and that's the site, you know this better than anybody, the scientific process is you put out a hypothesis and as new information comes in, you're evolving that hypothesis into a theory. And sometimes you're going to look like you're on one side of it. Next day, you're going to be on the other side of it based on information and data that you're getting. You have to adapt accordingly. 
So, but that's, again, that's a, another conversation. But my point is DeSantis is not, he's, he is more of a reactionary. He's using the levers of government to retaliate against his political enemies. That's not conservatism. That is performative politics. To take immigrants from one state, hijack them into Florida, and then ship them off to this highly visible, where was it, a place in Massachusetts? Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, Martha's Vineyard. Like, that, like we could talk well, about- So there are political stunts that, yeah, okay, that's probably not good, but it also gets a bigger problem, the attention that it needs, because otherwise everyone's walking around with blinders. And the media won't cover a crisis potentially at the border because it's not good because who knows the media means left. Like, let's be honest here. If you can't call a spade, then, then what are we really doing here? That's fine. I don't mind that. I, I don't necessarily want... accept that, but I understand that a lot more people, individuals who work for legacy media organizations, you could definitely make the case that a lot more folks who've worked for legacy media organizations lean left. But I, again, a whole other conversation, but that's up to you. It's where it's up to the consumer to be discerning and to find the Robert Costas who work at the Washington Post, who's a great reporter and he happens to be a conservative. Um, so it's up to you to find but, individual reporters that are doing great analysis, doing good writing and reporting. Okay, so I can see you makes a good point for why you don't want to vote for DeSantis. You would honestly vote for Joe Biden over that. Seeing everything that Joe Biden's done all the way, like you, even though it's trying to be hidden, you can't honestly think that guy can actually lead a country. <laughs> like that he, so, that he has the mental wherewithal to he's, do that. He's not my top choice, but if my choice is Biden versus Trump, it's not even a choice. Biden versus DeSantis, it, to me, it's not even a choice. Because as a small business conservative, DeSantis is anti-small business conservative. DeSa DeSantis is really good if you really hate those liberals. If you really, if you want to, if you wake up every day and all you want to do is own the damn libs, then DeSantis is great. DeSantis is for you. I just think that's a whole, that's like a fantasy land. That's just, that's exacerbating one of the mindsets of our culture. That's just making our conversations worse, making it worse to be harder to be neighbors, harder to go to Bible studies with people. It's making, he's exacerbating one of the worst problems of our culture. Not to mention the fact but, that- But you don't think the, reg the regulations of the left are strangling small businesses every day? So when you, when you say the left, you're talking that, okay, again, a whole other conversation. You live in California. So, so- the regulations and the taxes that you have to do, like Florida doesn't even have a state income tax. Like, so they have to be doing something that's, yes, I get what you're saying where he forced businesses to not make their employees wear a mask, but he's also not forcing them to jump through a million hoops apply for where business licenses cost you an arm and a leg where you can actually compete and the free market can win. So that is conservatism in a sense where, okay, I, I don't think that there should be laws against you, but also I don't think that there should be laws against your employee. And that, that's a balance. And there's a, there's an argument to be made for both. So, so let me answer. I think really 
it, this isn't necessarily the question you asked, but this is how I'm going to answer it. I would, if the most prominent feature of an elected official who's asking me to vote for them is that they're very visibly fighting the libs, fighting the liberals, fighting the left, if that's their most prominent feature, that I ain't voting for them I, because that's their guiding philosophy. That's my kids went to a Christian school whose real priorities were about anti anti-democratic or anti-democrat party, anti-left. If they were just explicit about who they were, I wouldn't have been as pissed about it, but they weren't really a classical classical Christian education. They were about anti-left, the culture of that school. Anyway, if in DeSantis's case, his most prominent feature is his performative political stunts that he does so that he can get a hit on Fox News. His guided his guiding philosophy isn't Burkean conservatism. Yeah, but he picks things that aren't necessarily even conservative. They're like a 70-30 winner that he's picking. And those are the fights that he's going after. That's why he won by 20-some-odd points in Florida, because he's not picking just the conservatives. He happens to be, yeah, own the libs in this, because it's the radical left that is pushing this agenda that the mainstream America and moderates and independents and even right-leaning liberals are like, whoa, too far, everyone slow down, okay? Most people believe in having a secure border. Most people believe that kids should not be brought to drag shows. The drag shows are inherently sexual and you should not be bringing that. Just like I believe that a kid shouldn't go to a strip club, okay? Just like I believe that you should shouldn't surgically mutilate a child because children can't can't fathom the longevity of a permanent decision. Just like a kid can't get a tattoo, okay? All these things that DeSantis is going after are winners in the book, 70-30, as far as the split. And that's why he became so popular. The problem is everyone paints him out. Like they, they pass a bill saying kids can't go to drag shows and teachers can't be talking about sexuality to kindergarten to third grade. Okay. You cannot be talking about sexuality. He just made that, he just made that K through 12 now. That same law. But, but he applied it to they K label 12. it the don't say gay bill. Like, wait, what? Nobody said that you can't say gay. Like nobody said that. And the media and all the media, let's be honest, go after him, literally nicknaming it the don't say gay bill. Okay. So when he's getting fought back, for so long, Republicans just sat back and they just would take the lumps or they would let the Democrats just lie. I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's accurate at all. I know I have become friends with a lot of guys now who are, they, they still, some of them still identify as Republican, but a lot of these guys were running Republican campaigns. They were the ones who were creating the Republican, leading Republican candidates, their campaign talking points and their tactics and their overall strategies. So I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Anyway, we could definitely go on and on. And you just brought in a whole bunch of other set of issues here, but uh, I do need to wind it down because I still have to work tonight, actually. Yeah. But a lot of, we should probably do this again, because clearly there's a lot more ground that we can cover. So any, there's, any there's, closing thoughts? There's so much, and I'd, I'd love to solve all the world's problems with you. I'm like, sure we could get it all figured out. Could, 
Give me another five minutes and we, we get could. it all figured out. <laughs> so it, everybody's coming here because they like talking politics and religion without killing each other. We're trying to take the extremists and the screamers out of the equation so that the 80% of us or whatever, like the exhausted majority of us can have reasonable conversations and figure out how to speak to each other across our differences in more healthy ways. So yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, just having fun. Hey man, it was, it's always cool hanging out with you. I really enjoy your company. So maybe next time we'll do this over a whiskey and we'll really get it figured out. <laughs> yeah. I'd enjoy that. And we can, I'll see you at the next poker game. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, if you dig what we're doing here, please hit that subscribe button, leave a review and comments wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend about TPNR. We're easier to recommend than ever. It's politicsandreligion.us. It's www.politicsandreligion.us. Or you can find me online at Corey S. Nathan. That's Corey with an E, S is in Sam, at Corey S. Nathan. Now go talk some politics and religion with gentleness and respect and have a great week.